Welcome to 005 episode of Fox Trotting in a Fox Fox Trotting in a Foxhole. Excuse me. Too much of that uh, nice sparkling water that just got got me a little bit effervescing right now. Well, as we are here for another week, um, good grief, lots to talk about, and I'm always telling you about preparing for these episodes, the things I think I'm going to say, and then we get closer to error time, and well, there's things that end up on the cutting floor because the, the landscape around us, especially when we're talking about sports, seems to just, it's changing rapidly. I mean, quicker than you can see Jack Robinson. Not to borrow one of my favorite lines from Slapshot. If you all seen the movie, you know which one I'm talking about. Can't use the full quote, but yeah, you know, Paul Newman or Reggie Dunlop, at, at, you know, at his best. Oh, how terrible you are. <laughs> anyway, yes, this is uh, the week ending on July 12th, even though we're doing this episode on the 14th because... We've had uh, lots of stuff going on in the last two days, which has prevented us from being able to sit in front of the recording console and do our thing. Woo-wee. Yeah, so enough about me. So let's talk about some of the things that went on in our world last week, especially, you know, focusing on the world of sports. I mean, if there was stuff going on in other aspects of, of, of the world, we'd be talking about that too. Even though we do not talk about politics Staying away from there as much as we can, because as we always say that we're, we're independent here. And if you have any views, comments, or questions, you know, for that segment, or just want to give us overall feedback on what we're doing and what we can do better, feel free to send those to ftinfx at gmail.com. Once again, that's ftinfx dot com dot gmail dot com we'd love to hear from you out there as uh this thing uh begins to grow we start we start getting an audience and uh we find ways to improve our presentation and truly provide a high fidelity experience and content you know that's what our aim is as far as this goes all righty so let's start off with um our first topic here is going to be on the return of the mls um, as I think, you know, it should be obvious to people now, if, if you're watching Fox Sports 1 or ESPN Family of Networks, that, uh, hey, we've got American sports uh, going again. And for some of us, it's a very happy moment, you know, definitely worth an applause, but we'll hold on that. Um, anyway... MLS returned last week, you know, becoming the first American uh, professional sport, which we'll call it major, because obviously NWSL has, has, has been going on for you know, at least 10 days before that. But because you can't find them on, uh, on the TV, you know, especially when the games are actually being played or at all, having to dig you know, harder than the, the 49ers at Southern Fort to find gold, so I can't really call that major unless it's successful. Where MLS, well, some may not feel that it is a major sport. It is, in my opinion at least, uh, the first major professional league to start competition. So uh, what did we learn? Well, we know that on Wednesday, July 8th, 
the league returned with Orlando uh, SC defeating Inter Miami two to one at the MLS bubble in Orlando. Um, what we saw, powerful displays of unity and support of the social awareness movements that are helping define what will be, you know, radical changes to come in, in, in the ensuing years. Um, and, and uh, you know, this re... or it's challenging how race will be perceived, you know, moving forward, class, all of these things. Lots of riveting visuals, you know, a lot driven by the Black Players Black Players. Coalition, which is a group of players that's main aim is to end uh, racism in all soccer, doing some wonderful things. Uh, but uh, just for examples of what we saw, we saw, you know, Theory Henry, the, the, the legendary international who now coaches at Philadelphia Union, kneeling for eight, 40, eight minutes and 46 seconds, the same time of uh, the same amount of time that those officers that uh, killed George Floyd. We saw the Philadelphia Union wearing the names of victims killed by forces of oppression on the back of their jerseys in their match against New York City Football Club. I mean, and just in general, seeing players of all colors and national and nationalities displaying a strong presence. I mean, you know, with varying symbols and statements. And I thought that as the league is getting a lot of visibility, this kind of gives you a glimpse into what we'll be seeing, you know, for this summer into the fall as the, when the other leagues uh, reconvene. And I think that, those, you know, for the most part, those were all positive. And, you know, the, in terms of activism, brilliant stuff. Now, they're not so good. Uh, Nashville, Nashville SC's matchup with Chicago that was scheduled for later that day had to be postponed due to a high number of positive tests detected with the Nashville squad the following day. Nashville pulled out of the tournament, joining FC Dallas, who had decided to withdraw last week. And, you know, while the other matches have gone on as scheduled, uh, Sunday morning's match between D.C. United and Toronto FC was postponed just before the two teams were preparing to square off. It was very disturbing because, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out that you guys are in the bubble. Are we still having containment issues with teams support, supposedly safe from the bubble? However, it, I think this was more of MLS just being overcautious and taking the extra step. The match was played the next day, and I think it gives us a good idea how the, how the NBA and the NHL and MLB will be able to move forward in spite of this incredible yeah, pandemic going on. And I will point out that on Sunday in Florida alone, they reported, what, 15,300 new cases in one day, shattering the record. And so it's, you know, it's very disturbing that we have, uh, we're going to have professional sports there and the players, even though we're in a bubble, could be at risk. But as I'm saying that after some hesitation, uh, MLS was able to get that match with Toronto and DC United in yesterday morning. And then last night we had two spectacular matches with LAFC in Houston, followed by the LA Galaxy and the Portland Timbers. Lots of fireworks in that LAFC match. And obviously, I've told you before in the previous episodes that I'm a huge fan of the black and gold. Um, satisfied, you know, they came away with the draw. But I felt they had Dio, the glass man, not got hurt. They would have won. But wasn't too happy that they gave up three goals in the, in, in the first half and had to come back to get a draw. Back line looked really shaky. 
But then, you know, I, it was a great, you know, the, the two matches last night were, was just a great display. While MLS has a stage to themselves, you know, people were tuning in. A lot, a lot of riveting moments last night. Uh, great showcase for the league. Um, I have to say, though, you know, when you have 15,000 new cases in a day, it is a sobering fact. And I still believe that we need to continue to look at what's going on in the European leagues and truly understand what protocols they're using so we can avoid those pitfalls and continue to roll out sports in the United States. You know, whatever the case may be, you know, we know that at least the precautions and protocols aren't followed. Sports in America will indeed have a day of reckoning later on this year. So, but maybe that can be avoided. And what, after a little, after a few hiccups, what we saw in MLS gives me hope that Hey, hey, maybe we can get this done. All right, let's move to the next subject, and that would be Deshaun and the double standard. Last week, Philadelphia Eagles whiteout Deshaun Jackson generated headlines when quoting remarks from Adolf Hitler on his Twitter feed. Now, while these quotes were false, they, they, I mean, it was proven that, uh, I forget, you know, whoever fact-finding, but, you know, Hitler didn't make those comments. The implication was clear, and the blowback from sensible folks was quick and to the point. I mean, right, Jackson's posting this on social media was not only controversial, it was anti-Semitic and way out of bounds. Now, while Jackson has profusely apologized for his remarks, and has met with Holocaust survivors, has had you know, some conversations with Julian Edelman of the New England Patriots, who's, who is Jewish, and, and reached out to him. He's making plans to go to Auschwitz. Definitely making a concerted effort to walk back from his hateful remarks. However, his contemporaries have not been so adamant in rebuking DJX for all of this. I mean, Stephen Jackson... You know, obviously, is was homies with George Floyd. You know, no connection implied other than the fact that he's been very outspoken in terms of uh, athletes showing their activism. He doubled down and defended his comments. Now he's kind of retreated somewhat, but in my opinion, he really hasn't taken stock of how offensive, you know, his actions were defending Djax. You've got Malcolm Jenkins, who came after Drew Brees with both barrels on the shotgun. He also soft-pedaled D-Jax's comments, telling everybody to stay focused as opposed to outright, you know, calling him out for that. Um, and as did undisputed Shannon Sharp. Okay, my point here is I'm not trying to call those guys out and put them on the carpet. You know, they've got their own platform. But I do feel that if these African-American athletes and talking heads want mainstream America to really take their viewpoint seriously, they need to call their peers out when they go out of bounds with comments like DJX made, and also allow for legitimate different views, such as Drew Brees or even Alexi Lawless, who came under fire for professing his love for, for the country and the flag over an activist cause. I mean, let's face it, we all have opinions, and as long as they're not out of balance and racist, you should, you, you should right, everybody should be tweak, treated equal as far as this goes. Not rocket science here, not sitting here trying to condemn anybody, but it has to go both ways, right? You just can't sit here and fillet people like Breeze and Lawless 
then you know all of a sudden trying to cover for G D Jax. You're never going to be considered. You're not going to have any legitimacy from sensible people. At least that's how how I see it. Okay, we will be back here in a short moment after we take a quick break. All righty, and that indeed was a very quick break. <laughs> All right, for my next topic, which we talked about last week, and we have to follow up with the Washington whatevers, as I'm sure, unless you were hiding under a rock, you know that yesterday, the Washington Redskins and Daniel Snyder came out and said yesterday they were formally retiring the name and logo. No, no new nickname has come, has come up yet. Um, and you know what the, what the basic plan, nobody knows. It's just that it was made official that the name and logo has been retired. I told you last week, I've been a long-time fan. It's a very emotional moment for me. Um, yes, being, being a fan since 1969, as I've pointed out, yada, 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 yada. Um, I don't really want to... Uh, gosh, how do I say it? I'm more irritated about clowns like Max Kellerman and Kevin Blackstone chastising Daniel Snyder and almost, you know, vilifying him for not doing more and not coming out sooner. Y'all got what you want. We have a name change. It's going to happen. This idea that should be on a timetable to their liking is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, where does it end with these folks, right? You give them what they want, and they still and they want to they want to humiliate you, vilify you, and then maybe okay, you did the right thing. I mean, there's a lot of us who feel he didn't do the right thing, and that, Mr. Snyder, that is, didn't do the right thing here. Um, maybe should have taken on the WalMarts and Nikes. And as I said last week, I mean, who the heck is Nike to call anybody out, given their record with using sweatshop labor? Uh, Right, you know, and then pulling their pulling the, pulling the stuff off their site, but not making the NFL team shop, meaning they could still make their money, you know, in the total Nike hypocritical fashion. Not cool at all, right? I mean, you know, so hearing all of these ta uh, attacks on the Washington Football Club, you know, while looking, you know, the, while these while all these sponsors being high and mighty, when their their laundry is pretty dirty, you know, it's beyond laughable. And then you've got you know, the Blackhawks saying they plan to keep their name because it honors an important historical figure. The Braves saying they're going to make changes, but they plan to keep their name. It's like, that is a big WTF, right? You know, um, while I feel like the Redskins, you know, whether you, my interpretation of, of, of the Redskin name being derogatory, you know, which somebody else, hey, it's in Webster's. Yeah, that's a modern thing that, that it's derogatory. And there's a lot of things that people have decided in recent times that are. But, hey, if some people find it offensive, fine. In fact, I will go a step further. I'm with the folks that say, yeah, okay, we're not your mascots. So if one has to go, then clearly they all have to go. Right. I, mean, I just feel that, you know, this idea of any, of, 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 of any humans, whether it's a fighting Irish Fighting a lion eye, 
It all has to go if the Redskins have to go. It's 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 just that plain and simple. You cannot single the Redskins name out and not get rid of the, get rid of everybody else. In fact, I just saw that uh, there was an op-ed in the Washington Post where they want the Texas Rangers name because of its racist legacy in the 19th century and early 20th century. They think that name should be changed. Why not go further and go with the Dallas Cowboys, even though Cowboys, you know, is a more looser term. But hey, the Cowboys did a lot of subjugation of the Indians as well. So, you know, clearly we're going to have problems. We're going to have to see where this all goes down the road. It's going to be interesting. Um, you know, anyhow, we'll be talking about it from time to time here. Obviously, I'm really curious to see where Mr. Snyder goes with this. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, de we'll definitely be having some opinions. All right, so we're going to revisit a topic I brought up not last week, but the week before. And we talked about it some last week as well. But this ongoing thing with, with, with America's top motor sports circuit, NASCAR. And I've, I had the pleasure of being able to talk to a good friend of mine about this uh, just a, two days ago. And here's my interview with the legendary J.K. the Corner Man, a man of many insights and just an all-around all good guy. Okay, we are live with this. And so now I would like to introduce to the world my good friend who I've known for coming on four decades now, believe it or not, J.K. the Corner Man. And as I've talked about in previous episodes, we're going to uh, touch upon the whole NASCAR controversy, and not just the Confederate flag, but just touching on Bubba Wallace and where the sport's going to go. And so, J.K., how's it going? J.K., the quarter man, welcome to Fox Trotting in a Foxhole. Hey, man, thank you for having me, Mr. Ken. It's, it's going well, it's going well. It's, and as a racing fan, I'm one of the few that doesn't have anything to complain about. Well, that's fantastic. All right, well, let's get going with this. So, for starters, Tell us about how you got into NASCAR and what it means to you. Well, you know, I, I grew up primarily an IndyCar fan, but I kind of started gravitating toward NASCAR back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and the, the thing that really sunk it for me was I was working at a local local newspaper, and I, I went and I covered uh, the first ever NASCAR event at the then-new Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and it was a truck series race. And it was, I believe, 1997, and Dale Earnhardt, who was my favorite NASCAR driver, was the team owner of the truck driven by Ron Hornaday Jr. And Hornaday was the last race of the season in November 97, and Hornaday wrapped up his first of three truck series championships. And, of course, Earnhardt was there that day and started that weekend. And all the NASCAR the cup guys were all there. It was an off weekend for Cup, So, you know, Waltrip and Earnhardt. And AJ Foyt drove in the race, his last ever NASCAR race. And so Earnhardt's guy wrapped up the title, and, and Earnhardt flipped his car at Talladega earlier that year, broke his collarbone, still feeling the effects of it. But while his team was there celebrating in the little champion circle right off pit lane, uh, Earnhardt, I, I noticed a couple of uh, Hornaday pit crew guys do a double take, and I looked over and I'm standing there holding the camera back because I had down you know, there taking pictures. And I see Earnhardt pushing the toolbox down the pit lane. And the two 
who are they? Thicker guys. And they're like, uh-oh, the box kind of banged up and better get over there and push that box. And they ran over there and, and hey, we'll get that box. And said, no, 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 you guys go, go enjoy yourself. And we said, you sure? And, 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 and you know, you said, yeah. So I, I was like, and I fell in behind Earnhardt. I was so, that whole moment just really struck me. I was so in awe that I didn't even get my camera out and start snapping pictures. I just, just, just parked myself right off Earnhardt's shoulder and just walked down, you know, the pit road that was behind the wall and all the fans were behind the fans. They're all looking at me like, who's this guy, you know? And just that whole moment right there. And from that moment on, I didn't miss a NASCAR cut race for years. Of course, I was devastated when Earnhardt got killed four years later. But, Likewise. you know, it was it was probably 2013, 2014 before I missed a uh, cup race. I watched it every weekend, man. I was just, I was hard in it. And, and, and I, I kind of tailed off a little bit on my cup series. You know, I've gone back more to my IndyCar roots. But, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a hardcore race fan, and I love just like you know, go fast. Oh, God, that's great. That's, that's, that's great, Dana. It's funny because I, you know, obviously, you know, that I was in Vegas during that period. And it's funny that that track opened up just as I left. And I've got, and I've had to miss out on all the fun. But I guess that's a great segue in terms of, as you say it, you kind of tailed off with your following of NASCAR, as, as a lot of people, including myself. And what makes, makes me want to ask you, what do you think about this uproar with the Confederate flag and not NASCAR bowing down to the, uh, Cancel culture, social justice warriors, and removing it from all of its venues. Well, you know the thing is, it's just NASCAR's ball. You know, it, it, they're not a they're not a public entity; they're a private business, and they can do what they want to do. And if people don't like it, that's bad. Um, whether you disagree with it or not, it's just their it's their right to do. I don't really think it infringes upon anybody's First Amendment rights to be able to to fly a certain flag out there and it's that whole confederate flag thing I, I find it odd because you know that wasn't even the confederate that's not even the, the stars and bars that's, that's you know the battle flag of the carolina regiment or whatever it was you know it, it's not even it wasn't even the confederate flag you know and 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 okay so people and I, i'm not from the south you know i didn't grow up in the south i don't have the southern heritage and southern roots but you know the truth of the matter is they lost you know, they lost the war, you know, so you have what, you know, you want to hang on your Southern roots and your Southern heritage, that's fine. You know, you want to fly, if, if that flag means so much to you, you know, then, you know, plant it in your front yard or whatever. But, you know, as far as it being at the race, if, if you know, and I've read comments from people who say, well, they have NASCAR lost fan, I'm not going to go see any more NASCAR races. If you're not going to go see a NASCAR race because you're pissed off about not being able to fly that flag, then, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I mean, were you really that much of a fan in the first place? You know, the truth of the matter is there's a flag they should be flying is a white flag because that's, you know, they lost. They lost the war, man. So, you know, get over it. That was 150 years ago. They got, you know, it, it, it's a race. You're there to see racing. You're not there to, to make a political statement or a cultural statement. You never watch a race, you know. So if NASCAR doesn't want to have that flag being flown, uh, I'll be honest with you, it, it, it don't bother me at all. It doesn't really bother me at all. I know it bothers other people, but, you know, I, I'm not, I don't tune in to see a flag flying in the background. I tune in and watch a race. Oh, great insights. Do you think NASCAR overreacted to the uh, council culture, social justice warriors, warriors, or do you feel NASCAR went along with the fear 
to widen its appeal to a younger demographic? I think they, <laughs> I think they, they bowed down before the social justice lawyers. Really, truthfully, to be honest with you, I mean, and you know, cancel cancel culture is real. You know, for, for you know, for a certain segment. You know, I mean, you, you can get. I mean, a guy like me. You know, I, I, what what's going to happen to me? Nothing's going to happen to me. But somebody who has to put their name out there. You know, and and and. and and makes a living off of their name being out there and their personality being out there and being up front of people in, in one way, shape, or form, you know, they're getting canceled. <laughs> That's the truth. And, and, and that type of, of, of environment is it's a real deal. And, and I, I do think NASCAR kind of bowed down a little bit to cancel culture. I think they've made other moves to try to appeal to a younger demographic, but I don't think that this was one of them. I think they just, they just towed the line. Basically. Okay, which obviously um, pulls nicely into the next part of, uh, part of this interview, and that would be about the Bubba Wallace incident. You know, obviously we've seen, you know, everyone from our, our president to uh, Sean Hannity's and Laura Ingram's, everybody's got their, got their 50 cents worth as far as ha you know, their take. Um, what, what is your take on, on this thing? Well, yeah, the Sean Hannity and the Laura Ingram and the and the, the, the Donald Trump of the world. I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, if if, if ever there was a, a political faction that had it just up to them, you know, on a team, and then still swinging this, those are the guys that are doing it. I don't know. It's hard to hear what the president has to say, you know, with his foot buried so deep in his mouth as we were talking about earlier. You know, it's just like, you know. Come on, you know. First of all, I don't think that that rope, noose, whatever the case may be, was planted there on purpose. Especially they they got the evidence to show that it's been there for months, months, months. And there's no way on God's green earth they knew the bubble wall was going to have that that garage stall. It's just you know, it, the world works in mysterious ways, and as fate would have it, they day and age, there it was. <laughs> it's like in anybody else all would have gone completely unnoticed but in that one you know it it just you know just it is what it is but then to turn around and blame you know try and say that it was you know it's like just be quiet already you know that they didn't they, they don't need you know bubble wallace doesn't need any kind of uh of fake drummed up controversy to 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 add to the conflagration that is, is society today and, and, and with uh you know, the social issues are going on and the racial tensions and the racial divide. You know, the, he doesn't need to make anything up, you know, and, and for folks to suggest that he is, it's, it's rather disheartening, to be honest with you, when you see what comes from it's like, just, you know, leave well enough alone sometimes. You know, some, sometimes stuff happens. I, I think both sides completely blew it out of proportion and overreacted. Wallace overreacted. And the, the, the factions who say that, you know, he just made it up for, you know, he made it up to get publicity or headlines, they overreacted. I mean, just, you know, we got to start treating each other better and, and listening to each other. And, and, and it's, you know, but instead, you know, you get the people who stand up in front and, and have an audience and can wield a little influence. And, and all they're doing is they're, they're, they're carrying a great big gas can for, you know, pour it out on top of the fire. You know, 
that's so like, ironic because that's what I was going to say. Because I had, you know, one of the questions that I had for you, and and because, you know, for example, I mean, for my for my take on it, knowing you know a, a lot about the sport as well, even though it's not you know something I follow as much as I used to, that you know when it comes to the garages, you know the the fellowship and brotherhood there, um, it, it it it's pretty powerful, and I and I think that a lot of the folks outside, like someone like Max Kellerman, who was quick to just to paint the race racist label and denounce NASCAR, you know, and everybody is a bunch of bigots. What do you expect? I mean, these people don't really realize how tight that family is, and that's why I'm kind of with you in terms of, you know, it's almost absurd. But to that point about you talking about the gas, you know, you know, carrying the gas can and pouring fire on it, you how do, I mean, how do you feel Bubba, Bubba handled this, you know, after the FBI determined the news, you know, it's been there since last fall, you know, going on Don Lemon and going on Jesse Wal- Walters, anywhere he could, you know, I, I, you know, it's like, I don't necessarily think he did it to enhance his band, but it's kind of a crybaby almost. Well, you know, I do think he just needs to shut up and race. You know, to be honest with you, you know, and, and that's kind of harsh, but you know, he he made his point. You know, he he'd already made his point. You know, he 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 made his point, and especially now. You know, the, the point is made. You know, we all know Bubba Wallace. We all are now Bubba Wallace. I'm the only black driver in that car, and and and. and carrying the mantle and you know we get it we got it we understand you know no one's singling him out no one's picking on him and, and, and nascar yes it has southern redneck traditions it does and, you know our, our origin I should say you know the origin of the sport is it's southern sport but look at it now i mean to, 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 to even suggest that it, it is a, a bastion of you know or, or a, you know filled up with nothing but good old boys it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, especially when you when you take it in its totality and you look down through, you know, not just Cup Series, but you go into Xfinity, you go into the Truck Series, and you look at where all this, where, where everybody's from. There's hardly anybody from the South, you know, it's in that that's in the top level of NASCAR. You know, you got Denny Hamlin's from Virginia, and you got a, a, a couple of guys from Florida, but you know, you got way more guys from California. <laughs> running NASCAR at the, at the cup level that's been, you know, that's been from the South. So, you know, it's it, it, the people hollering that this big redneck, you know, uh, thing, you know, it, that's just, it, that's just not the case. Now, now I'm not, I'm not saying there's not racism in both directions in all aspects of society or NASCAR. Sure, there's boneheads there at NASCAR, you know, but there's boneheads everywhere. You know, everywhere you look, but, but is it, permeated by it no not at all well god that takes me to an interesting left turn which i wasn't going to ask you about but now that now that now that it's popped in my head you know one of the things and i talk about this you know with uh with my brother who's a good friend of yours as well and uh you know as you know is a huge nascar aficionado um do you think that now, going after, especially after Dale Del Earnhardt Sr.'s, you know, untimely passing in 2001, right? Was it that? Dale Earnhardt passed? Yeah. 2001, yeah. Um, do you feel that the, the conscious decision for NASCAR to go Madison Avenue in terms of the kind of drivers that they cultivated and going away from its southern boot, bootlegger roots, that that, you know, kind of, you know, 
began to you know dig a grave for the sport in terms of uh, losing its soul. I mean, there's, there's there's a prevailing argument from some that that's the case. You know, I I, I thought long and hard about this, and I say the answer is absolutely not. Uh, first of all, and ironically, um, the big explosion of NASCAR occurred after Dale Earnhardt's passing. You know, there it was it was coincidental or that that his his death was the first race of the Fox Network it was. Uh, contract when they first took it over. Prior to 2001, you know, one week the race would be on TBS. The next week it'd be on TNT. The next week it was on CBS. You know, you never knew where this, the race was going to be. It was it was truly still, for the most part, a regional sport. With the arrival of Jeff Gordon coming to prominence in the late 90s, that that was the beginning of, of the new era of, of when it started taking off. And 2001, when that new contract kicked in, and that's that's when NASCAR exploded, really, you know. And for the next eight years, until the economy went in the tank in the late part of the first decade of the of the century, you know, NASCAR just grew exponentially. You know, it it new tracks popped up, uh, existing tracks, you know, built new seating, you know, and I I don't think that they did they move away from their their roots a little bit in terms that yes and that they grew and that they, they are now reaching a true national audience you know and in some cases international audience they, they did so they had to take steps but they grew i mean growing naturally involves you know uh some evolution of, of the of the organism they evolved a little bit they grew and they're you know expanded and reaching a bigger audience but the crux of the matter is, is this, what did that, what, what, what is it? It's a, it's a racing series. It's about racing. And, and it, what did it do to the racing? The truth of the matter is, is that, that NASCAR is the game as way more competitive than it ever has been. Now, that's without even discussing the chase or the, the, the stage racing that he's now implemented or any of that kind of stuff, you know, it, it's very easy to sit back and, and wax poetic about the, the, Good old days, you know, and, and, and back in the day, that type of thing. It, it, it's epitomized. I watched the, on a classic NASCAR race on Fox Sports Network a couple weeks ago. It was a 1990 Bush Series race at Daytona. Six cars finished on the lead lap, you know, and they were strung out. You know, back in the day, Richard Petty, David Pearson, and one or two other guys had a chance to win, and there was, you know, three cars on the lead lap most of the time. It, it was not just glamorous, although everybody's banging and bumping and, and and fighting for the win. It wasn't that way. They were scrapping and scraping to survive, and there was two or three factory-backed organizations, and they dominated, you know, and, and, and not just dominated by winning most of, all, most of the races, but they were laughing at everybody, and, and that has just been totally glossed over by, you know, this, you know, it's not as good old groups anymore. Well, good. It's more, much more competitive racing with a lot more guys with a chance to win races, you know. And that, you could talk about the chase and talk about the stage racing and, you know, talk about the formula of the car or whatever. Maybe not like there's certain aspects of it. But the truth is that the, the series as a whole is much more competitive and became much more competitive than ever. Oh, that's, you know, that's interesting. You know, that's an interesting perspective. And it kind of what leads me to this next question as we as we kind of start to wind this down. 
Um, you talk about the competitiveness, and it makes me think about Jimmy Johnson, who is uh, in his last season. Why do you think one of America's American sports most decorated champions in this century is vastly underappreciated? I mean, when you think about what this guy's accomplished in, you know, in a very short window, but I, mean, I know he's not Mr. Personality and whatnot, but, but it's still kind of almost appalling when you think about, you know, what is he, a seven-time champion? And he doesn't really, you know make too much of a shudder in terms of the American landscape. And we're always talking about GOAT, whether it's LeBron, we're trying to make Mahomes the GOAT and waiting and Brady and so on. But, you know, here it is, Jimmy Johnson, who's just as accomplished as any of them, and nobody really knows about it. Well, he, he's, I think it's a combination of factors. One, he, he is very low-key. You know, he's a low-key dude, doesn't, you know, make outlandish statements. And part of, some of that's corporate. It's the corporate nature of the sport, you know, if, if you don't bring back in, you know, if you don't have money, you have to bring back in or get fine sponsors. And if you don't have it, you know, a race, so you have to be, you have to be somewhat but more buttoned up than, than normal. So he's not an overly flashy guy. Uh, he won in a manner of, he won a few of his championships. Well, he won all of his championships in the chase format. And, I think that the chase format um, detract, especially early, early in in the chase era when it was a new thing, and, and I, I think that people viewed the chase as being a way that you know something that somebody who won the chase was something less than you know uh, a Richard Petty, you know, who won it over the course of a full year, or you know something like that. They they, they kind of downplayed. You know, the NASCAR fandom itself downplays Johnson as a champion because, well, it's just that chase format. And there are a couple of the titles he won where, you know, the the matter is, Jeff Gordon should have won the championship. You know, Gordon was clearly the best car, you know, best driver of the year. And then they got down in the chase for whatever reason, you know, he wasn't able to, to you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't play the game well enough. You know, and Johnson did. It's Johnson and his team. So I, I think. Combine his low personality with the fact that he won his championships early on as a chase era. You know, I think if, if a guy, you know, Johnson had, had done it five years, maybe 10 years later, you know, it's it a much bigger deal. Plus, he, he did, you know, the era we live in today with social media and, and whatnot, technology, you know, it, it, yes, we had it in 2005, but it, it was still you know, a pretty new phenomenon as far as social media is concerned. And, you know, and no, earlier icons of sport didn't have social media either, but, you know, the world was a much smaller place back then, and it was much easier, it was much easier to make a big splash because it was, you know, the smaller platform or, or smaller audience, you know, just everything was smaller. But nowadays, you know, there's, there's so much distract us and take our attention elsewhere that it, it takes a big splash to get to our attention and captivate us and i think that 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 johnson came along right at that time when you know uh we had an exponential growth in, in things that distracted us and and so you know johnson just sort of slipped through the cracks a little bit and i think maybe the the mainstream sports fan or the average you know joe on the street you know it, it 
if, if, the, if NASCAR fan isn't making a big deal about the guy, you know, he's not going to resonate with the average sports fan or the average Joe. So I think he just sort of slid through under the radar. Uh, I guarantee you, though, that about another two or three years, he's going to be much more highly respected than he, than he has been. But, you know, that's the case when, when somebody, you know, moves off the stage, you know, and then you get the, the, the perspective, you know, the, the retrospective look at, at things and, and, you know, Artists always become much better. Their paintings are worth a lot more after they're dead, so to speak. You know, and I think Johnson will, will get that same, you know, respect. Well, geez, I sure hope so, because he's—I mean, you know—it—it's it, uh, what what he's done is definitely Jordan-esque, and um, and and yeah. it, it would be a, it would be a, a shame if he doesn't, you know, get the recognition that he deserves for having, you know, an incredible career. So okay, I, I, I want to throw something in real quick. Sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you, but oh, I was actually my, the first NASCAR Cup Series race I went to was Jimmy Johnson's first win, California Speedway, 2002. That was my first Cup race. I, 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 I looked back on that and I said, "Man, I got his very first win." Right. I, I thought that was really cool. he's like a 76 right now, is it? Yeah, he's he's. I'm not sure what the exact number is, but he, yeah, he. I no, no, he's up into the eighties. He's in the eighties. Okay. One more, he breaks the lost the lost jam. He's tied with like Yarborough and, and okay. And wow, I didn't Alex. realize he was in yeah. the eighties. So when you were at his first, yeah. well, that just shows you, you know, how far he's come and in, in that by eighteen years. Okay, yeah, so yeah, you know what else shows you? It shows you how old I am. Yeah, yeah, you would be both. <laughs> so okay, I'm going to get you out with this one. Um, so. A, what is the what do you think the future is for NASCAR moving forward, and how does it sp- stay viable in a sports world that is transforming rapidly before our very eyes? Well, I said I think there's a paradox with NASCAR because I think it's growing and it's shrinking, and, and what I mean by that is at, at the top level, it's downsized. I mean, it, it's now you know we grew up with the Winston Cup. And then it went through, you know, Nextel Cup, Sprint Cup, or whatever. The corporatization, you know, the big title sponsorship, the big, you know, the, the explosion of, of money at the top end of the sport, you know, it isn't what it used to be. And I, I you know, everything's cyclical. You don't want to, don't want to say never. You know, you never, never say never. But you know, the, the, the trend is certainly towards, you know, a, a more modest approach. You see tracks, all those tracks that expanded, put in seats. They're torn them all out. You know, they're taking out the backstretch Daytona. They're taking out seats at Las Vegas. They're taking out, you know, at a lot of tracks. They're, you know, it, it, it's shrinking to the top. There's, there's talk about, you know, condensing the schedule, reducing the season from down from, you know, 36 points races. Uh, but at the same token, um, at, at the smaller scales, you know, the, the, the regional touring series, the, the you know the local tracks. I think they're 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 starting to really pick up and be stronger than ever. You're seeing you're seeing corporate involvement at, at the at the, the NASCAR Touring Series level, the ARCA Menards Series, the the Series West Series. You know, Menards is getting involved in sponsorship, and, and you know you've got kids who who are racing. You know, from you know they start go kart racing at four years old, and and you know, the, the, the grassroots of the sport is as strong as ever. And, and you've got, 
you know, you've got a lot of females getting involved in racing. You know, I watched a, a, a live stream from the Madera Speedway, uh, which are a local track here in Central California, where, where the, uh, just last night, you know, and they have a junior late model uh, series for 10 to 16 year olds. And, you know, and a quarter of the field were girls. I watched an Arkham Menard West Series race last night also, and uh, it took place about a week ago down in Southern California. Quarter of the field were girls. You know? So, you know, you've got, you've got, a, I, I, I see an, uh, an expansion uh, of, of, of growth, you know, from the grassroots level. Will that ever translate up, in the, up into the top levels of the sport? Probably not, because there's not, there's, there's you no, know, it takes money. You know, it takes a lot of money to run, and, you know, there's only so much money available. There's only so many slots available. There's only so many seats available. It's a very limited, you know, very hard to get, you know, very hard to attain status of being, you know, a Cup Series driver, or an Xfinity Series driver, or even a Truck Series driver. But there's there's always going to be that passion for racing, you know, and, and, and kids are Get it into racing, you know, all over the place. I mean, kids, you know, Wisconsin and, and Idaho and Texas and, and Missouri and all over the nation. These kids racing. You know, look at, you know, kids from Connecticut and racing in Indy cars now. Everywhere. Kids are, you know, there's racing, but the passion for racing is nationwide. And that, that's not going to stop. And as long as you've got speed, you're going to get a plant. Now, maybe it won't grow into a tree. Maybe you'll have some small some small shrubs, but you're always going to have have that racing. You're always going to have the feeder series. You're always going to have that. And as long as you've got that, you're going to have NASCAR. And, you know, what, is it going to be splashed across our consciousness like it was in, in the early 2000s? Probably not. And is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. Well, that, that was... That was a, a great answer, and I mean, I really um, share your enthusiasm. It definitely has um, given me some fruit to, um, to 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 feast on in terms of how I see the sport looking down the road. So I guess I really didn't take those uh, variables into consideration. Well, okay, J.K., we're definitely going to have you back uh, to, to talk about. Uh, the motorsports world and other things. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you down the road. Absolutely. My pleasure. Outstanding. JK, the corner man, a uh, good friend of mine over the last four decades. He and I could have probably talked about uh, motorsports for hours on end, but obviously with the, limitations of this format but yet a lengthy interview very enjoyable and uh, we will be back with some more riveting conversation all right then um, after that wonderful talk with J.K. the Quarterman, let's get down to our next segment. We will go with our hot take of the day or something you should probably know. Well, let's start off with the WNBA. I told you we were going to bring the women back up in this episode. 
you asked, why would I talk about the NBA when nobody wants to? And, you know, that's not a knock on the ladies. It's just the harsh truth. Unless, you can, unless you're watching uh, First Fake or get up early in the morning and, you know, and they're, and they're ever crusade to be as woke as possible. Anyhow, but we're, we're not here to bash ladies. We're actually here to, like, give, give uh, a fair shake to them. And I guess this would be, are they agents of change or still another poor stepchild in the bigger scheme of American professional sports? The WNBA, often regulated to the back of the sports pages, has been making eye-popping headlines in the summer of change. First, you have Maya Moore, who we have discussed in previous episodes, being a true inspiration as she paused her career in the fight for social justice causes. What, what she's done um, is very laudable. I hope she keeps up the good work. And as we said last week, we hope that she gets back on the court at some point and we can see her talents there as well. And now we also have the brewing storm with Senator Kelly Loeffler of Georgia and, and the NBA players. Loeffler, an appointed U.S. Senator from Georgia, who's also had some uh, allegations as far as laundering money before uh, this pandemic took root, and she may have profited, but we, that's you know, for somebody else to decide. She's also a part owner of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream, and she has spoken out against BLM, an organization she believes is sending the wrong message. When I say BLM, you know I'm saying Black Lives Matter. She believes that the league should unite around our country and the flag. Um, you know, in a league that has many activists, such as Maya Moore, you can imagine how well that's going over. Not shockingly, the players, who are predominantly women of color, are calling for Loeffler's ouster in the same manner that Donald Sterling of the Los Angeles Clippers was ran out of the NBA for making insensitive racial remarks. Loeffler, who is no longer part of the day-to-day operations, she says she's going to stand her ground. But given the player's commitment to resistance, I would think her odds of surviving disappear to be slim at best. And then lastly, also, the WNBA's conditions of the WNBA's bubble in Florida have been less than ideal for, as some reports has been seen on the woke sports leader, have, have talked about bed bug infestations substandard accommodations, and other issues surfacing as far as the lodging of, of the ladies at their bubble. Which leads us to the question, has the league, in spite of more visibility, truly shaken off its second-tier status? My answer would be, no, it hasn't. I think the visibility that, that they're getting right now in various outlets is fantastic. But the, but the fact that they only make news when it's something controversial like Loeffler or the, uh, you know, trouble, the, the, the trouble they're having with the accommodations down in Florida. Yes. I mean, as, as, as the lady, and, it's, and forgive me for forgetting her name, says that we'd like it to be more about, when, you know, when we get headlines for it to be positive, like what you're seeing with Maya Moore. Anyhow, they are making inroads. Keep it up, ladies. You know, we're, we're definitely pulling for you. Okay, now, and the other one we have, we'd like to talk about, we'd like to talk about McCurr Maker and his commitment to Howard University. McCurr, who's one of the nation's top basketball prospects in this year's class of incoming freshmen, sent shockwaves 
across the NCAA with his decision to attend Howard University, an HBCU institution as opposed to the traditional powerhouses. Mocker, the first five-star recruit to choose an HBCU in almost four years, says he wants to start a trend in hopes of getting more top-tier African-American recruits to consider this as an option. However, when asked if he would be in one and done, Kerr stated he believes, yes, I am a lottery pick and the NBA is my true goal. So while I think his choice is laudable, not sure it'll have any impact on those programs if an athlete like like Maker leaves after one season. In order to make an impact, you would need to stay a couple of years and build something, especially when we're talking about a Howard program that's coming up of a 4-29 season. Just one and done is not going to inspire that kind of change. I just, you know, it, 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 maybe a couple will do it, but until you actually go down there and make, make somebody a power out. And, and then coming up with a 4-29 and 29 season, I'm not sure you're going to have that impact. You're going to have to be all world. You know, wish the kid luck and hope others follow his example. Uh, just called me a little bit of a skeptic on that one, especially when you come out and say, hey, you know, I want it done. That's going to be me. All right. So, questions from the intelligentsia. Yeah, we got a couple of questions. Have you ever had questions? F-T-I-N-F-X at gmail.com. And I may, perhaps one of your questions, I will answer your questions on, on one of these very episodes. So, after hearing the talking heads argue all week about the goat and waiting, Patrick, my homeboy, and, you know, the whole thing is, would, you know, would you start your franchise with him? And this is all time. And, you know, I know that Mike Greenberg made a big do about it. So the question was from, from Pat C., who would you start your NFL franchise with all time? Boy, you know, I thought about that for a while. You know, as, as much as exciting as Mahomes would be, I'd still have to go with someone like Joe Montana. Because in today's day and age, with, with, with the rules being liberated that they are, I think he would have a filled day. The guy had a winner. The guy had magic. And with the sort of protection, I think he alone could probably get you to four to six Super Bowls, especially in today's uh, game where the rules are designed to protect the quarterback. That's just me. I mean, maybe I might pick an LT or a Ronnie Lott to start my team with as well, but it would be one of those guys that just had that winning about him. And not saying Mahomes doesn't, but he wouldn't be my choice. Okay. Now, the second question comes from Jason R. In Spring from Springfield. He asks us, who do you think will be the number one and eight seeds in the Western Conference when the NBA playoffs start? Well, I do believe that the Lakers, with the, I believe they have a five and a half game lead. Even if they coast, they should be able to get there. I think the eighth seed will be more interesting. I'm leaning towards Portland, but New Orleans is it's intriguing me. You know, I had to say right now I would go with Portland, but I wouldn't be surprised. If Zion and Brendan Ingram and, and Lonzo Ball and company and Josh Hart and uh, Drew Holiday are the ones. I don't see Memphis, who right now has the advantage with, you know, John Morant has done a fantastic job. 
We're not, I'm not sleeping on them, but in the end, I think New Orleans or um, Portland, they're just too good. I mean, San Antonio, you're missing the playoffs. Great, we don't have to deal with you, Pop. And that doesn't bother me one bit. Well, 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 well. We will be back in a moment, you know, for our final segment. And we are back at Boom Talk Studios. Gosh, wonderful day in July. Not too hot. Nice 75 and sunny. It feels a little bit muggy. There's still some pollen in the air to take some of us who suffer from such things down a notch. But, one, you know, beautiful day here in southern, I mean, western Oregon, south Eugene, I should was going to say. Not on top of my uh, of my words today. And uh, I also apologize for a little bit of the static in the interview with the corner man. Still working out some... Uh, of the technical difficulties that uh, this new interface, which I think is extremely beautiful. What an addition to Boom Talk Studios, I might add. But um, anyhow, let's move on here with our weekly segment, The COVID Chronicles. So we've already touched on the return of MLS. What's the word on our other professionals? Let's start with the NFL. Well, the NFL is talking about imposing a ban on the post-game jersey swap ritual that has become popular as far as the, the brotherhood of players. Great thing. Always looks good. Great photo op. Something you can put on social media. And, you know, you have a room full of these great jerseys in, in, in the man cave. Wonderful. To no one's surprise, this is not a popular move with the players. To quote, the one and only Richard Sherman, a man of lots of words, this is a perfect example of the NFL thinking in a nutshell. <laughs> or this is a perfect example of NFL thinking in a nutshell, excuse me. As he says, players can engage in full contact and do it safely. However, it's deemed unsafe for them to exchange jerseys after a game. Well, I gotta, you know, I don't really agree with Richard uh, too often as he get, tends to be a little too much outspoken and about high in his own self, even though he is pretty good and had a great season. Not so much a great Super Bowl, but I do agree with him here. I might also add that the NFL is working with Oakley to introduce a mouth shield as a way of combating the spread of COVID-19. Hopefully that goes all well, and we have football in a couple of weeks. Getting kind of iffy whether that's the case, but the NFL believes it's so. And this came out as far as when we go to the NBA. Just you know, We've talked about the NBA extensively in previous weeks. Uh, as, we, as, as I was about to uh, go to air yesterday and still getting information on, apparently Russell Westbrook of the Houston Rockets has tested positive for COVID-19 prior to the team departing for Orlando. Uh, hopefully, you know, our, our, our wishes go out to a speedy recovery for Russell. We know that if he's healthy, along with James Harden, they probably posed the biggest threat to the Lakers and Clippers in terms of a team that could represent the Western Conference in, in the final. Uh, in MLB, we have 58 players have tested positive for COVID-19 through July 9th, even though today is the 14th, so there might be more, but I think we haven't heard of any more positive tests. 
what we did find out is that San Francisco Giants catcher Buster Posey has decided to opt out of the 2020 season due to family reasons. I believe his, him and his wife have just um, adopted two kids that have special needs, and he wants to focus being on them in these troubling times. We also have heard that Michael Kopik of the Chicago White Sox has also decided to set up for personal reasons. The flip side would be you, Darvish, saying he was swayed to play by observing how serious his teammates are taking this restart. So, hey, I guess it cuts both ways. In the NHL, the Pittsburgh Penguins have sidelined nine players from their training camp after they tested positive for COVID-19. This is coming after the NHL announced on Saturday, that would be the 11th, that um, it has prohibited teams from releasing COVID-19 test results and injury information during its season restart coming up here in a couple of weeks. And on the links, we can also tell you that the Ryder Cup has been pushed back to 2021 as they feel having contingents around the globe together for a tournament as such is probably not a good idea right now. Uh, too bad, because, you know, I, I have been watching some of the, the, the restarts, but they have had some, a, we talked about a few weeks ago with the Travelers, we've had some instances of COVID wreaking havoc there, but that seems to have been taken care of, and they seem to have that control in the PGA, and we hope that as the events continue, we have Tiger, um, you know, going to have his first tournament since the restart, and I'm sure we'll all be tuning in, because obviously when Tiger plays, it's like EF Hutton. Everybody stops and listens, or in this case, watches. So let's go to the view on campus. Our you our weekly our weekly uh, overview of the NCAA under siege, not only by COVID nineteen, but the social revolution that is also taking place in America. These both things. And so, what do we have on campus this week? Well, from the forty three thousand foot view. We see that the Ivy and Patriot Leagues have canceled all fall sports. Kind of big. Kind of waiting to see what kind of dominoes that leads to falling. One of them, obviously, being the Big Ten and Pac-12, deciding to go to an all-conference schedule for, for the 2020 fall season. But meaning, previously scheduled huge matchups, Ohio, Oregon and Ohio State, Michigan and Washington, Miami and Michigan and Penn State and Tech are now off the books. Oh boy, you know, ABC, CBS, Fox, you know, the networks, not happy about that. But uh, in the interest of safety, that's one of the things they're going to have to do. We also saw that last week, Stanford University is, just, is going to cut 11 varsity sports to make up for budget shortfalls. And Florida State is doing a similar thing as well. Something to definitely keep an eye on as we get closer and closer to the fall in terms of how these institutions are dealing with the loss of revenue and what that means in the, in the big picture, not just in the short term, but even in the long term. Very scary stuff. In the meanwhile, also last week, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill shut down its facilities as 37 student athletes have tested positive for COVID-19. Ohio State has suspended all voluntary workouts after a recent outbreak on campus. The University of Louisville is taking similar actions. Um, and also, 
uh, something to note, and maybe this is going to happen for the, the Power Five and the NCAA as well, but the, the uh, National Junior College Athletic Association voted yesterday. Somehow I did not get the results of that, but they want to move their 2020 football season to the spring. Will this trend spread to the NCAA, and how will that affect recruitment as far as you know, a lot of interesting things that they're playing? We'll be keeping tuned. We'll be keeping up with that, and we also want to know: Will Duke University come under some scrutiny or renewed scrutiny after reports surfaced last week that Zion Williamson's stepfather accepted a four hundred thousand dollar payout from a marketing agent prior to Zion attending Duke? Uh, I noticed that you saw if you if you if you watch the Talking Heads in the morning like I do, guys like Jay will running to quickly shield Coach K. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure Duke being Duke, they'll find a way to weasel away from all of this, but it sure doesn't look good. And then, you know, we're going to follow up on what we talked about last week with um, the University of Texas, as I told you about student athletes there, the African-American student athletes, to be exact, um, talking about not wanting to continue practice or workouts until the university responds to its complaints. And yesterday we've come to find out that, you know, after, you know, Texas players requested a list of changes to be made, well, the university, you know, is, has a sweeping plan to redefine campus symbols, including renaming the Texas football field for Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams, who African-American athletes that, won the Heisman Trophy. They were gonna, they're going to create a statue for the first black letterman at Texas. Um, so, yeah, I don't... Um, not sure what they're going to do about the eyes of Texas. As I... Okay, I see. It still will be sung, but the university will teach about its origins, which it was, as I talked about last week, a minstrel show going back to 1903. Going to make sure that they claim that they're they're hoping to reclaim and redefine what the song stands for, first by owning and acknowledging its history in a way that is open and transparent. And um, so I think it's like I said, you know, renaming the football stadium that is now known as Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium, to naming it after Ricky Williams and Earl Campbell. Well, I mean, I guess if you want, Daryl Royal is a legend, but at the same time, to be more relevant with today's athlete, um, acknowledging Ricky Williams and Earl Campbell might be the way to go. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll get somebody from Texas on the show to give us their take on it. You know, it's uh, very powerful, powerful things, but once again, as we talked about with, in Mississippi, with the, the movement there, that was generated by the two universities, coaches and athletes. I shouldn't say the two main universities, Mississippi State and Old Miss, with the with the, the removal of the Confederate uh, signage from their state flag. Power athletics. It it says a lot. These guys bring a lot of money to the table, with and with their likeness, their performance, and it's wonderful that um, they are being paid attention to. And we're making amends to sort of answer some of their concerns. Is it going too far? We will find out in the weeks, months, and years to come. But at some point, you have to acknowledge that these guys generate a lot of revenue 
for these institutions. And it would be wise to listen to them because obviously, as we talked about in the previous segment, with uh, Baker going to a HBCU, I'm sure that all these universities are paying attention and, and, the, and stay viable economically as we know what a cash cow football is at a big five school. Yeah, you better pay attention to what these guys are saying and ladies as well, you know, big stuff. But anyhow, you know, we will be keeping that. We'll be keeping an eye on that as uh, we get into the fall and winter seasons. We're not even sure if that's going to happen. I mean, there's so much up, up to debate right now in terms of how viable it is. Obviously, if you can't have kids on campus, then what would be the point of having student athletes competing in very, you know, dangerous sports with in terms of contracting COVID-19 and not really getting paid for it. Well, we you know we will probably for the foreseeable future be looking at COVID and its and its impact on the pros and the colleges and also this cultural revolution that's taking place. Ah, so let's get to the parting shots. Woo, yes. The Turd McCory Award, which as you know is our is our weekly award in honor of a real terrible person that I've had to deal with in my life, and I'm glad that I don't anymore, but they are being honored with an award every week. And, and this week, I've got to give it to Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, for getting suspended, suspended without pay from ESPN after sending a FU email Friday to U.S. Senator Josh Harley. Harley, exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Republican from Missouri. You know, over an, an argument with the league's relationship with China. It's like, I get Woj, but I also feel at some point, you know, with his hot takes and being the insider for ESPN, he has kind of gotten a really inflated ego, and I, it's probably time for him to get knocked back a, a notch or two. You don't get all huffy and puffy with a, with the U.S. senator, regardless of whether or not you agree with them, you know you, you know, this whole, all of these uh, personalities trying to go outdo one another in terms of how woke they can be, not a good look. And it's just you know getting into it and, and calling out a, out a senator, better ways of going about it should have kept his emotions in check, and that's why he gets the Turd McCory Award this week. Alrighty, so and let's go to the lighter side of, of sporting life. And that would be PSG. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the Red and Blues. They returned to action this past week in Normandy with a, a friendly in front of 5,000 spectators, which kind of gives us a glimpse into what the future of fans attending sporting events might look like. And of course, PSG's 9-0 drubbing of, of this League two, 2 squad, Le Harvey, was, you know, fair game to all the haters on Twitter who immediately sprinted to their keyboards to chastise the Red and Blues for showboating and pouring it on. Well, as I say, good to know the haters are still in prime form after being away for four months. I mean, come on, man. They haven't played in four months. They've been watching all the European leagues get it on after the decision in France to shut everything down, you know, because of uh, the outbreak at the time. It was obvious PSG had the championship wrapped up. 
There's other teams that fighting for European football and relegation that didn't like it. But the, the amount of hate that came out, it's just like, really? They haven't played in four months. Yes, they were playing, you know, a second-tier squad, but it's like it was in front of fans. It was glorious getting to see Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi do their thing. You know, people, get off the keyboards and just let people enjoy themselves for a moment, I tell you. And uh, there's a lot more to talk about as far as the, the, the world of football proper. We'll definitely be bringing that up in the next episode. I mean, obviously, the, this big deal with Man City getting a, a reprieve, you know, from the Court of Appeals in terms of their two-year ban. We'll be talking about all of that stuff next week. Anyhow, this was a great episode, having J.K., the corner man, uh, in for an interview. I'm hoping to uh, have some great guests in the weeks to come. We'll also be launching the other side of this podcast, which is, uh, which is our local focus, The Scene, coming up here soon. Sort of finalizing the guests there. As always, um, send emails to ftinfx at gmail.com if you've got suggestions, questions, feedback, whatever the case. Be safe out there. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. And stay safe from the COVID monster. All right, people. We will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.